On this bonus episode of the Outspoken Podcast, we follow up episode three's discussion on ethics with Dr. Roger Pelkey and take a deeper dive into how his words pertain more specifically to the sport of cycling and our case study, Gianni Moscone. This time, with outer line rider, Steve Maxwell. Hello, howdy, how are you? Hi, how's it going? Welcome to this very special bonus episode of the Thereabouts Outspoken Podcast. My name is Angus Morton and today I'm all alone in the studio, which means no breaks, just an endless onslaught of my voice, wall to wall. Cannot wait. And with that, let's get into the show. After our discussion with Dr. Roger last time, I reached out to another friend of mine who I feel has one of the most impressive minds in the sport of cycling to take what Dr. Roger said and go a little deeper and more specific into the case of Moscon and the sport of cycling. Cycling, when it comes to ethics, outside the obvious behaviors of some of the uh, biggest names in cycling from the old guard, We've had a relatively good run in terms of athlete behavior and ethical kind of standards, I guess. But I wanted to hear what Steve Maxwell thought about the the case of Moscon and how we set a standard in the sport of cycling. And with that, here we go. So I'm now here with uh, Steve Maxwell, uh, author, one of the authors of uh, The Outer Line, uh, as well as co-owner of Pocket Outdoor Media, which is the uh, parent company of Vela News. And probably most importantly, I would uh, have to say one of the foremost commentators on the sport of professional cycling. Steve, how are you, mate? I'm good. Thanks, guys. Um, so you were just listening into uh, my conversation with um, Roger, and you had a couple of follow-up points um, that pertained more specifically to the Moscon incident that you wanted to weigh in weigh, weigh in with. Um, yeah, sure. Happy to happy to kind of give maybe a more cycling centric perspective on this thing. I mean, I think uh, two or three points that I might kind of underline or or uh, emphasize a little bit that Roger had made uh, during our earlier discussion. Um, you know, first of all, I think that um, this kind of behavior is in some ways, sadly, sort of a, you know, sort of just a characteristic of sport. It mm. really kind of starts at the bottom uh, and goes right through the top. I mean, let's face it, I think, you know, those of us who've had kids in, in Little League and kids soccer and so forth, I mean, you know, you see this kind of bullying and poor behavior by the parents and so forth with dads being asked to leave the sidelines and all this sort of thing, even yeah. in, you know, even at the lowest level of sport. And so it, it really kind of begins at the bottom and it's kind of indicative of, of the kind of win at all cost mentality that I think we unfortunately have at a lot of, in a lot of sports. Um, and, and it goes right through the top. I mean, when was the last time you watched a pro game where at least somebody didn't lose their temper at least once? So I exactly. think, number one, it, it's kind of important that we put this in context. I mean, I, I would have to say that um, cycling probably has less problems or less serious problems in this regard than a lot of other sports do, and not to minimize 
Moscone's behavior in any way, but, but a lot of sports have exactly these, some, these sorts of problems, and I mean some a lot worse than others. As, as uh, Roger pointed out, I mean, you only have to look at the, at the National Football League with, with you know, instances like Ray, Ray Rice a few years ago and the domestic yep. disturbances or Ray Lewis who was implicated in a murder trial or, you know, more recently, you know, top stars like Ezekiel Elliott or even Ben Roethlisberger. Um, and, and, it, and it goes across all sports. I mean, it's really... It's really everywhere. So I, I, I think the I think the best approach and one that should be taken in cycling as well is to say, you know, this this kind of bad behavior exists and so what are we gonna do to, to deal with it? What what kind of guidelines can we put in place to try to control or or at least minimize this? And and I would say in, in cycling, you know, we don't really have that. Um, and to be fair, in other sports We've only recently started to put in place guidelines to, you know, to try to at least set a general framework for how you how you should manage or respond to this. In cycling, you know, we have um, a few rules relative to cheating, like you know, for example, with respect to doping, there's a pretty good uh, framework of of regulation with respect to that. Other areas, you know, like like drafting, you know, like drafting behind race cars, or even down to things like you know, sticky bottles. There's, there's some rules on these sort of things, but as Roger said, there's a difference between rules and norms. Mm. And in cycling, we sometimes allow, you know, allow some of these things to happen or we kind of apply the rules uh, very selectively. And so it, it, I think it kind of calls out for the UCI in, in, in our sport to set at least a few, at least a few guidelines. And in, in the absence of that, we get, we have a few bad actors like Moscone who, who are essentially being allowed to get, you know, essentially second chances time after time after time. And, and we need to set some sort of a policy, whether it's a zero tolerance type of policy or it's a three strikes and you're out type of approach. You know, you don't want to necessarily destroy someone's career based on a single incident, but, um, and everybody should be allowed to reform, but at the same time, we don't want to allow repeat offenders to sort of go unpunished. And, and I think Muscone has clearly, you know, exceeded that kind of, that, that kind of guideline. I would agree with you there. And, and, and that's one of my kind of biggest um, concerns with this issue, right, is, is um, that there's been no lasting formal punishment for Moscone. And when you look at doping in sport, you you know you just made a, a really good point about like you shouldn't destroy someone's career uh, after a first time offense. Where do you think something like, for example, his his racial abuse of of Reza? Where does something like that fall in terms of like what's what 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 should punishment look like in your opinion for something like that? Yeah, you know I think like like Roger said, I mean I think. There are there are kind of degrees of of bad behavior and people, you know, elbowing in the in the peloton or you know knocking heads in a sprint and so forth are are kind of frowned upon, but are but are kind of generally accepted by the sport or the the participants or the fans. Mm. But when we get into a when we get into a situation where there's clearly racist behavior, and like we've seen in you know in a lot of the premier, you know, football leagues in England and so forth recently, there's some pretty horrific things. 
that are happening, and I think there has to be a line drawn and, and some criteria established by the regulatory body about what's, you know, what's kind of where you cross the line there and what's, what's acceptable and what isn't. And I think that, as Roger said, you know, there, there's a difference between maybe tossing your bike at somebody or tossing your elbow or punching somebody versus making, you know, clearly racist remarks in a, in a, in a group setting or, in, you know, even in a public mm. setting, as Muscone has done. And I guess I would, I would say that there's, it's incumbent upon the, upon the, you know, the regulator here, the UCI, to establish a few guidelines and then enforce those on the team. There may have to be a little bit of flexibility so that the athlete can have a fair hearing. But I think that in cases where there's been clearly racist behavior, that that's just, you know, that's sort of beyond the pale and that we shouldn't, we shouldn't allow that. And it, it, it really comes back, in my view, more to the UCI than the individual teams. The teams are always going to have an incentive to sort of say, you know, this is bad behavior. We're going to slap your wrists. You're out for three weeks, but, but you know, you're an important part of the team, so we want to, you know, we want to make sure we keep you around. Mm. That has to be that has to be changed from the top, and to say, look, if this happens, the team has to do this, or you have to do that. You don't have the flexibility to to sort of say, we'll give you one more chance, and you know, end up giving him ten more chances. So I, I think that this is something that the sport at the regulatory level really has to has to grab grapple with and, and set some guidelines. If the UCI aren't doing anything, which they well, they aren't. They haven't really, um, as a progression, right? This first incident happened uh, in 2017, and you know the most recent incident happened uh, a few weeks ago or a month ago. You know, early 2020. Um, is there the opportunity for the teams, for an organisation like Velon or someone, to implement a um, a code of conduct or like a, you know, a, a kind of more stringent, I know they've done that with, with doping, right? Is there something, is there the ability for them to do something um, that holds the, that, that sort of holds the athletes to a higher standard? I think there certainly is. I mean, I, I think this would have been an opportunity for, for team Ineos to, to, you know, to establish exactly that sort of a, uh, a benchmark or a precedent to say, you know, we, you know, you're an important part of our team, but we find this kind of behavior abhorrent and, you know, we're kicking you off the team. Uh, there was quite a bit of commentary in the media a month ago about, you know, about how the team should have done exactly that. Mm. So I think that, um, but with bigger numbers, it's easier, you know, it's always, it's always a little bit hard for one team to say, well, we're going to take the lead on this and suffer the, you know, the economic or the competitive um, you know, um, fallout. And there's a power in numbers there. I think if a group like Velon or the MPCC or one of these mm. groups were to say, you know, this, this kind of behavior is just as bad, uh, for our sport as doping. And here's our guidelines. And I think you could see that begin to maybe take a little bit stronger hold in the Peloton. Um, and similarly, I think, as Roger pointed out, we have a, a very weak or almost non-existent um, athlete, you know, union in this sport. But I think if more, if more of the athletes spoke out and said, you know, we're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior and, you know, kind of took to their, to their kind of bully pulpit or to their, you know, ability to influence through social media and so forth, I think that would help as well. But 
but there's always a hesitance, I think, to do that or to stand up and, and, and be the leader or speak out on these sorts of things for fear of what it will do to your own position with your own team or your own, you know, your own uh, sort of group. And that's exactly right. We've seen that um, uh, amongst another, um, amongst a, a bunch of high-profile athletes in, in global sports that have kind of been, you know, suffered some backlash for, for standing up for their beliefs. I'm interested to hear what you think in that regard, right? Like cycling seems to very much hold the athlete and um, their performance as the most, you know, um, the most important thing within the sport. The fans, um, you know, like ethics, that sort of stuff sort of tend to fall below that. Do you think that needs to change? Or do you, I mean, do you, firstly, do you agree with me? And then, and then secondly, do you think that needs to, that, that needs to be revisited? No, I, I, I do agree with you. And I, I think it does need to be changed. I mean, I think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, we sort of have to teach the athletes and, you know, teach our kids from a young age that, that, that being a great athlete is not simply based on your physical skill, but it's also, you know, it also has to do with your resilience or your ability to fight through kind of stressful moments or competitive losses. And that, um, you know, your ability to do that and to deal with setbacks or to deal with, um, you know, challenging situations is really what, you know, should, should determine your strength or your ability or your standing as an athlete. And I think that, um, you know, too often we, we tend to kind of ignore an athlete's behavior if they put on a supreme physical performance. Mm. And I think that kind of applies to Moscone. I mean, he's certainly not one of the, you know, elite riders in the sport, but he's obviously a strong, a strong rider. And so people tend to say, well, you know, boys will be boys or, you know, everybody, uh, everybody misbehaves now and then, and let's kind of sweep that under the rug and look at his physical accomplishments. Uh, I, I think you're right. We need to, we need to view this in a broader context. And even though, even though he may be a strong rider, if he's a, if he's a bad character from other perspectives, then we should, we should, you know, we should believe that there's not, maybe not a role for him in the game. I would, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I'm, I'll be very interested to see um, coming out of the current situation how, you know, the sport changes, if it changes at all. Um, and if the athletes start to stand up for things like that. And, and, and um, yeah, I, we're going through an interesting time. And I think the outcome or what comes out of this will be, you know, uh, potentially a new version of, of the sport of cycling. So I'll be intrigued to see how that plays out. Mate, uh, anything else to add on that situation? I don't know. I just think that you know, there's uh, there's there's more to sport than the than the competitive and the you know the sort of physical outcome of the game, and that we have to look at these other kinds of qualities in athletes as well before we we decide who we should hold up as the you know sort of the shining examples or the leaders of the sport. And we have to you know we have to all get um, you know a broader perspective to to look at at these kind of situations through that kind of lens and decide if it's really worth the worth the, uh, you know, worth the, the sort of headaches that somebody like this brings to the sport. And I guess my position is that, you know, he's been given quite a number of second chances now, and it's probably about time to draw the red line. Mm, absolutely. Time will tell, mate. Thank you so much for your time and, uh, and following up uh, on, on our interview earlier with, with Dr. Roger Pelkey. Um, Steve, 
Until next time, thank you, mate. Okay, thanks, guys. And that's that. Thank you so much for tuning in to this bonus episode of the Outspoken Podcast. It's been a real pleasure to take a bit of a deeper dive into the way that we form our ethics, rules and norms in the sport of cycling. Um, I hope you've enjoyed getting a little insight into how we here uh, at Thereabouts are thinking about sport and how we're you know, changing the way that we engage with it and trying to you know, expand what sport Uh, the role that sport plays in society and and what it means to all of us. And we hope that, you know, this show is is doing that for you as well and kind of getting you to change your perspective on on the sport and the role of the athlete in society. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you've got any questions, recommendations, yada, 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 shoot us an email, howdy at thereabouts.co, H-O-W-D-Y at thereabouts.co. Uh, or hit us up on Instagram at here or thereabouts. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Angus Morton. Take care. Stay safe.